Blog Talk Radio. Yon Kipper, it is a 25-hour fast. No food, and yes, we may have drinks. You, you customarily wear white. Customarily, you don't wear leather. Uh, you will mix up. That means you will do an immersion. If you don't understand that, we have, Prophet did a CD about uh, immersion, okay, the mikvah. We recite God's name ten times, and we read the Ten Commandments, and our name, if we have done the repentance, the repentance that God required of us, if you haven't haven't dug your heels in and locked your knees, God writes you in the book of prosperity for the coming year. And we talked last week about the many books that, that God has that he writes us in. The many books. that. And after, after this, then we begin to prepare for Sukkot, okay? This is five days before Sukkot. And Sukkot is, I'm excited about Sukkot, you know that? God is going to be there to meet your needs. All right? He is going to be at Sukkot to meet your needs. And I'm excited. Don't miss it. Don't miss Sukkot. God has something special for you. Come expecting God to do something special for you. Come expecting it. You know, the the prophet explained that, that, that when the Bible said, ask... When the Bible said to ask the Father, it meant demand. You are to put a demand on the anointing in God's Word. You are to put a demand on what God's Word says is yours. And so you are to ask. And I remember when I was younger in the Spirit, well, I always figured, well, you know, God knows what I need. Why do I need to ask him for anything? Because God knows my needs. He knows my needs better than I know my needs. And then, one day I'm listening to one of Prophet's sermons, but, but in it, revelation came. Revelation came. Have you ever had that happen when you're listening to, to, to one of these CDs, when you're listening to, or to, to, to the ministry? Have you ever had that happen when you're reading your Bible? Have you ever had that happen? All of a sudden you get revelation about something. And all of a sudden prophets said, God knows your needs, but he wants you to ask. My spirit jumped within me. I'm like, what? And I remember, I, now back then I was listening on cassette tapes, you know, not CDs and not USB, but a cassette tape. And so I backed the tape up a little bit, and I played it again. And Prophet said, God knows all your needs, but God wants you to ask. He went on to explain it, and I'm not going to go into that detail. All I'm telling you is, it jumped in my spirit. And I knew God wanted me to ask for my needs. God wants us to make demand upon his anointing. You come to Sukkot asking for your needs. Put a demand upon the anointing. You see, right now, 
is the perfect time for that. You see, if you have spent the, the, the past month of Elu, if you spent the past 10 days of all, if you spent Rosh Hashanah repenting for your sins, seeking God to show you what it is that He wanted changed in you, that He wanted out of your life, that's 40 days of searching your heart. If you have done that, the climax of that 40 days is starting tonight at sundown with Yom Kippur. When God, when God will close the book and seal it for the coming year for you, you come to Sukkot asking God for your needs to be met, expecting God to meet your needs. Why? Because you're clean. You're clean. And the Bible says that with his righteousness, you have the right to receive his mercy. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We praise you, Father. And we worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to read to you, and I'm not going to read it out of the Bible. You can go to your Bibles and read the story of Jonah. But I want to read to you a rendition about the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is typically, customarily read during Yom Kippur. Okay? And so I want to read this story to you. Jonah was a prophet who lived in the first temple period. His first mission given to him by the most famous of first temple prophets, Elijah. Elijah had given him a job. He was to anoint Yahuwah as king in the year of 705 B.C. Jonas Time was stormy times. The Jewish people were trapped in a period of spiritual decline that ended with the first conquest and expulsion of the ten tribes by the Assyrians in 607 B.C. And finally, with the destruction of Jerusalem, it was followed with 70 years of exile. Jonah didn't live in a wonderful time spiritually. As a prophet, Jonah knew far better than we can imagine what the inevitable end would be if no transformation was to take place. After the failure, have any of you had failures? Yeah. Remember the sermon prophet did? You must, you must fail to succeed. After the failure of his second mission, to rebuke Jehu's successor, Jeroboam II, he was given his final mission. You know, I want you to think about that. We're talking here about a prophet Jonah. He had three missions in his lifetime. Some of us think we have a mission every day. 
we do have a mission every day. You're to get up and you're to live a righteous life and you're to praise the Lord and you're to serve him to the best of your ability. You're to work for your family. You're to, you're to take care of your family. You're to love your spouse. You're to love your neighbor as yourself and you're to love God. That's your mission every day. Jonah was given three major missions as a prophet in his lifetime. The second one was a failure. The mission God had given him was one that he could not open his heart to, this third mission. He was sent to the capital of Syria, Nineveh. We all know the story of Jonah and the whale and going to Nineveh, don't we? Yeah. That one there, we remember. Why? We've even got children's books about it. I remember my kids, they, they, they used to have their favorite book. And Kayleen had this favorite book. And it was about Jonah and the whale. She loved that book. Read this one to me, Mommy. Mommy, will you read this one to me? And I read it over and over again. I I had it memorized. I thought, gee, I don't want to read this book again. Haven't read it for years now. He was to go to Nineveh, the capital of Syria, to urge the population to repent. Well, why? Why was he so upset about that? Why did he not want to do that? Seemed like a bizarre assignment to him. His own people were failing uncontrollably. And they were falling into a chasma that seemed to have no bottom. Yet he was sent to save others. Nineveh. The Assyrians were the arch enemies of Israel. God said, Jonah, go to your enemy and warn them. To repent. And Jonah couldn't open his heart to it. God, that's our enemy. That's our enemy, God. Why would you send me to the enemy to repent? I don't want them blessed. I want them cursed, Father. Jonah actually dreaded the success of this mission far more than he dreaded the failure of it. I bet he did. How could he bear to witness the contrast of the Assyrians returning to God in the face of his prophecy with the Jews stubbornly resisting any change for spiritual self-preservation? Therefore, He attempted to escape his destiny. How many of you have been given an assignment by the Father? And you don't want to do it. You see, God's mercy is huge. I remember, I remember when Prophet and I, we hadn't been married very long. And at the time, we, we thought we were going to go into the uh, business of, of, of owning assistant livings. And, 
And um, prophet thought God was done with him. And so we, we were sitting outside on the patio. And it was, we'd watched the sunset and it was getting dark. And we're sitting there. And all of a sudden we hear this meow. 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 And it kept getting closer. And it kept getting closer. And finally it came around the bend of our above ground swimming pool. And it was this black stray cat. Prophet said, hurry, go in the house, get some milk, put it in a bowl, bring it out for the cat. I said, oh, honey, if we feed that stray cat, it'll stay. And one of the things we had done was we had gotten rid of all of our animals because we were going to be traveling with this assistant living business. We'd gotten rid of two cats, two dogs, fish. I believe our bird had died. Yeah, our prophet said, I had a zoo. And I said, you don't want me to feed that cat because then we're going to have a cat. He said, we're not going to let that cat be hungry on our property. Do you understand me? I'm like, yes, sir. I came in and I got a bowl of milk. The cat stayed as I had prophesied. (laughs) No, it wasn't a prophecy. It was just... I grew up in the country. You feed a stray animal, they're going to hang around. Why? Because you gave them food. The cat stayed around. She had eight kittens. Yay! Yay! <laughs> yeah, and after she had the eight kittens and they got old enough to be weaned, she left and the eight kittens were ours to have. Yeah, so we ended up with not one cat but eight. And we still, to this day... Every once in a while, we have one of those great, 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 great grandchildren show up. Just two days ago, one of the mama cats, that's a, grand, that's, that's a great child from that black stray cat, showed up. Yeah. I remember after living with Prophet for several years, looking at him and saying, You know what, honey? You have a heart bigger than mine. He's like, what do you mean? Because you have a good heart. I said, you will feed every stray animal that comes around here. And he would. It didn't matter what was going on. He was like, feed it. Feed it. Feed it. Prophet understood the mercy of the Father. God has a big heart. He even has mercy for your enemies. And he was teaching Jonah this lesson. And he was putting Jonah to the test. Say hallelujah. Jonah attempted to escape the assignment. Now, remember that the Bible says that God said he would give us a new covenant And that new covenant would be that he would put his word in our hearts. Well, see, that covenant hadn't been made back then. And everybody knew that if a prophet was going to hear from God, they was going to be in Jerusalem. So Jonah had a brilliant idea. Let's get as far 
away from Jerusalem as I can. So I can't hear God saying, go warn the enemies of Nineveh. And that's what Jonah decided to do. And so he fled from Jerusalem. He fled from Israel to silence the voice of prophecy that could only be heard in the Holy Land. We don't understand that because why? Because we hear God all the time. Yeah, we hear Him. He's in our heart speaking to us. Many of you can tell me, you could tell me, if you got honest, you could tell me that in the last 40 days, you've heard God say something to you. Some of it you haven't wanted to do, but God's been talking to you and saying, go do this. Right? Yeah. And there's some of you that God said, go do this, and you haven't done it yet. Stubborn. Is it really worth it to have a year of, of not being sealed in the book? Huh? Is it really worth it? Hmm? I remember when, when I, Prophet and I hadn't been married very long. I was upset about something. And so I was, I was going to tell the prophet kind of how the hog ate the cabbage because I was upset about it. And he said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, stop. I'm like looking at him. Now this was the disadvantage of being married to a prophet, but actually it was an advantage. He said, whatever it is that you're upset about, he said, is it really worth it? For you to say the words you are about to say that's going to chip away at my heart. He goes, I love you with everything inside of me. But he says, are you about to take a chunk out of my heart towards you? And he says, if you do, you can't put it back. And he said, once that starts happening in a marriage... There's chunk after chunk after chunk after chunk after chunk. Until what? Until there's nothing left. He says, is what you're about to say really worth it? No, it wasn't worth it. He totally diffused the situation. By why? By making me see the bigger picture. Is your refusal to do what God said to do really worth it? Look at the big picture. God wants to bless you. The books are still open. Are you willing? Are you willing to humble yourself and do what it is that God wants you to do? Jonah wanted to silence the voice. But a storm at sea forced him to realize that no one can escape from God. I always taught my children, you may do something and I may not know you did it. You may do something behind my back sneaky and I may never know until they're about 45 years old and decide to tell me think it's safe to tell me. 
But God knows what you are doing. God sees you and you cannot hide from God. And Jonah was about to find out that he couldn't hide from the Almighty. He couldn't hide. God gave him a job and he expected him to go do it. So in the midst of being in this ship on calm waters, the boat began to toss until they were on the verge of the boat breaking. And the sailors, now I want you to understand, sailors are tough. They're used to, they're used to storms at sea. I remember one time we went fishing on the ocean. We were on a vacation. And we went out and the swells were five foot. Now they had told us to take, I don't remember what it was, but something for nausea. Because when you're out there and the swells are five foot, that boat's going up and down, up and down, up and down. And you get seasick. And of course the The captain and the workers on the boat, they had a grand time watching us turn green, throw up in buckets, be nauseated. They just grin. Greenhorns, they're not used to They'd say, you just got to get your sea legs on. Well, I didn't have sea legs. None of us did. And I prefer to be on solid ground as to be in that boat going up and down with five-foot swells. Before we got done with this fishing trip, the swells had grown to eight feet. The ride was getting rougher. And I wanted to go back to land. But we had paid for, I don't know, A three-hour trip, four-hour trip, I don't remember. But it wasn't no fun to me, to most of us. The kids were like, when are we going to go back? Well, we've got another hour and 45 minutes. The workers began to talk. They said, ah, this is nothing. You should be out here when the waves are really going. We're like, no, we wouldn't want to. You see, these sailors, this storm must have been really bad. Because they got to the point that they were praying to their gods, little G. They thought they were going to die. It takes a lot to get sailors thinking they're going to die. Wasn't five foot swells, it wasn't eight foot swells. Those boys thought their ship was going to break and they were going to die. And they began to pray to their gods. But they noticed something. There was somebody on board who wasn't praying. That man's asleep. And so they went and woke him up. 
Hey, why aren't you praying to your God? But Jonah knew the truth. It was he who had already cut himself off from God. There was nothing to say and nothing to pray for. How many of you have ever been in that position? You stubbornly dug your feet in, refusing to do what it is that you know God wants you to do. And suddenly a crisis arises in your life. And you need to pray to God. And you know there's no reason to pray. Because you are in disobedience to the Father. You know there's no reason to pray. So you just don't even bother. And you begin to run from God. But you can't outrun God. God will hound you. Why? Because he is a merciful God. Jonah told the sailors that he believed in God, yet he was running away from them. They didn't understand that. They didn't run away from their gods. So knowing he was the cause of the storm, Jonah told them, throw me overboard. Just kill me. I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. And the sailors, the sailors were like, no, we, we don't want to do that. But at the last minute, at the last minute, in desperation, they thought they were going to die anyway, and so would Jonah, so they threw him overboard. The storm stopped. The sailors' lives were saved. And Jonah thought, It's over. It's over. But it wasn't over. The Bible says that God had prepared a fish. He had prepared a big fish. One so big that it could swallow Jonah whole. And in the belly of that fish, Jonah had to do something that all of us have to do. Prophet used to talk about it. He said, you know what? We all have those times when we're all by ourselves. And we have to stare in the mirror at ourselves. And we have to confront self. And he was always adamant that he wanted to live his life so that when he was alone and confronting himself, he could live with it. And that's what these fall feasts are all about. Confronting yourself. Can you live with yourself? And Jonah had to confront himself. There in the belly of that whale, amidst the fishy smell of whatever it was, that that whale was eaten besides him. Amidst the gastrical juices within that belly of that whale, 
that was there to digest the food. Jonah was there for three days and three nights. He was a prophet sent on a mission that he was refusing to do. He was aware of God, but he was not aware of the depths of God's mercy. He didn't know how merciful God really is, but he was about to find out. There in that belly, down deep in the ocean, Jonah began to repent. of you have had to wait until you were engulfed in the depths of a problem, experiencing the digestive juices within the belly of a situation, burning at you, eating at your flesh. Stinging your eyes. And how long did it take for you to repent? One day? Two days? Six months? Five years? How long? How long would you stay in the belly of that situation? Jonah began to repent. He began to realize that no matter how painful the contrast between the Assyrians and the Jews would be to him, that God's motivation would be only one of mercy. Once he recognized that truth, he was willing to open the gates that he had closed the gates of prayer. He was now ready for the most significant undertaking of his life. The whale spit him out. The whale spit him out. And guess where he spit him out at? Nope, not on the shores of Jerusalem, of Israel. No, Not on the shores of Egypt. No. That whale spit him out exactly where God wanted him to be. Nineveh. On the shores of Nineveh. And Jonah began to preach in Nineveh. I didn't look this up. I don't have it in my notes. But I can, I vaguely remember somewhere, I believe that Nineveh took three days to walk through the whole city. That's a lot of walking. And Jonah began to walk. And he began to preach, repent! Repent! It's not 40 
days you're going to die. Repent. Repent. That Jonah caused such a commotion that the king found out. And the king decided we are going to repent. You see, it's the head that has to repent. The head that has to do what? It's the head that has to decide. And the king declared, we're going to repent. We're going to fast. We're going to wear ashes and sackcloth. And he called for the whole city. He demanded, as a king could do, that they repent. Jonah had been successful in this mission. You see, the king could have, could have ignored it. They could have said, get that guy out of here. Send him back to Jerusalem. They could have said, shut him up in, the, shut him up in prison. They should have, could have said, cut his head off. You see, God knew the heart of that king. And God knew that that king would repent. You see, God knows the, the what? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the beginning and the end. But Jonah didn't know. You see, a prophet only knows what God lets him know. All Jonah knew was God said, you go preach for them to repent. And Jonah didn't want to do it. But he did it. God has a way of getting our attention, doesn't he? After the king had repented and the people, Jonah understood that what he feared had come to pass. What he had dreaded so vividly, in reality, he, he couldn't stand. This was the enemy. God was going to let them live for 40 more years. He was going to postpone their destruction for 40 years. He knew Israel had refused to repent, and guess what? Yeah. And so he began to pray that he would be spared seeing the destruction of his own people, which inevitably would happen in the hands of the Assyrians. The Jews wouldn't take the example of Nineveh. They were calloused. And that callousness would seal their fate. God didn't answer Jonah's request with words. He answered by deed. Jonah left Nineveh. He went to the outskirts and he made himself a shelter in the shade of a castor tree. It was a source of consolation in his anguish. But God sent a worm to eat the branches and kill the tree. 
And in response, all pent up with agony and feelings poured forth from Jonah's lips. And he said, you, God said, you took pity on this castor tree, which you did not labor. Shall I not take pity on Nineveh, that great city, which there is more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left. And many beasts as well. In short, God was telling Jonah, is the flaws of the residents of Nineveh make them unworthy of life? God's mercy. God's mercy. Many of us are so busy in our lives, that we forget that God is merciful. We want Him to be merciful to us, but we fail to be merciful to others. This Sean Kippur, think about that. Think about that. Jonah was sent on a mission that he didn't want to do. He was sent on a mission and he tried to run from the Father to keep from doing that. But God's a big God. God is a God of mercy. A God of mercy. Five days after Yom Kippur is Sukkot. It's a festival of tabernacles. It's a God-commanded festival. We will celebrate it during the millennium. All nations will celebrate it or the rain will be withheld from them. Sukkot is a required festival. This is a law and a commandment. It's part of God's covenant. He gave this to his children in order to be blessed. Leviticus 23:33. The Lord spake unto Moses saying, Speak unto the children of Israel saying, The 15th day of the 7th month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days, saith the Lord. And on the first day shall be a holy convocation. Ye shall know no several work therein. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you, and you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and you shall do no several work. Therein. The festival of Sukkot begins on Tishri 15, five days after Yom Kippur. It's quite a drastic transition from one of the most solemn days in our year to one of the most joyous. Sukkot 
is joyful. It's commonly referred to as the season of our rejoicing. It commemorates the 40-year period during which the children of Israel were wandering in the desert living in temporary shelters. And that's why we live in temporary shelters. Sukkah. It is a harvest festival, and it's sometimes referred to as the festival of ingathering. And the eighth day, Shemini Asher. is a Sabbath. It is a holy day too. You will dwell in booths for seven days, Leviticus twenty three forty two. All natives of Israel will dwell in booths. Temporary dwellings. God commanded it. God commanded. No work is permitted on the first and the eighth day. Work is permitted in the intermediate days, two through seven, except, of course, if there's a Sabbath, which there is. Now, we celebrate here at Cradle of Hope, we celebrate Sukkot in Cassopolis. So we ended up we ended up taking a whole week off because I'm, I'm six hours from, from my home. But you can celebrate Sukkot at your home. That's not, that's, it just says to dwell in a temporary booth. That's the requirement. I remember, I remember one year we had, we had a, a, our tent right out the back door. And it rained every day. And every morning when we woke up, our, our property is, is sloped. And every day, we, every morning we woke up, and when you got ready to take your feet out of the bed, which was a blow-up, there was a half an inch of water on the tent floor. Some of our blankets had wicked up the water and were damp. Every morning, we had to empty out the tent, set the, set the blow-ups out in the sun, hang the, hang the bedding up to dry, put a fan in the tent to dry the tent out, then re-put it all back in. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't convenient. Believe me. At the end of that Sukkot, I appreciated a roof over my head in my home. I appreciated a bed with, with linens that I didn't have to wake up and strip and dry out every morning. The last night of that Sukkot, we were eating our evening meal, and all of a sudden, the wind kicked up. I had all the bedding back in the, in the sukkah, the tent, in preparation for going to bed that night. We were eating, 
And we looked up, and the wind had picked up the tent and flipped it up into the air with all of our bedding and everything inside. And Prophet barked orders very quickly and loudly at the kids. He said, Jeremiah, grab that tent and hold it down so the wind don't blow it away. Now, Jeremiah wasn't very big at the time. He probably was barely four foot tall. He wasn't any bigger than a minute. And he went and he grabbed the tent and pulled it back down. And about that time, another gust of wind came and picked the tent and him up. The prophet hollered, Kayleen, grab your brother before he gets blown out to the back 40. Well, the wind continued to blow. The prophet's like, we can't sleep in there tonight. We'll, get, we'll, end up, we'll wake up in the cornfield. So we unloaded all the bedding, brought it into the house, laid it out on the floor, And we slept on the floor that night. Temporary, temporary sukkah. We'll grab the tent, hastily gathered it up, put it away in one of the buildings. The next day we had to get it out, dry it out, fold it away properly. Sukkah. Temporary dwelling. It's not convenient. It's not convenient. But God wants us to understand and remember. You see, when we are disobedient, when we don't act in faith to what it is the Father wants in our lives. See, the Israelites have been promised the, the, the promised land. But they weren't willing to fight and battle and believe God for it. You have had promises in your lives. But many of you will not do the spiritual warfare. You will not battle in the spirit. You will not stand in faith believing that God said. And Sukkot is to remind us. How inconvenient it is to not believe God's word. Let's pray. Father, I come to you. I come to you. I thank you, Father, for your festivals, your times to search our hearts, Father. I pray for those who are listening today that if they've dug their heels in, that they will pull them up out of the muck of their stubbornness and rebellion. They will walk free in repentance and obedience to you, Father. Father, there's someone who's got a back problem, Father. 
your lower back. Father, I speak to that back and I command you be healed. Line up in the name of Yeshua. Satan, I curse you and I curse the lying symptoms within that back. And I speak forth the miracle. And angels, you go forth and you cause that miracle to happen in the name of Yeshua. The name of Yeshua. Well, I look forward to seeing you in Cassopolis and Shul until tomorrow, which is Wednesday. And remember, with God, all things are possible. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.